Settling in for a summer World Cup. Welcome to Hand of Pot. episode 445 of Hand Pod. I'm Sam Kelly and this week I'm joined by English Dan. Good evening. And Andres. Hello, welcome. Welcome back gents. Um, obviously, as we said last time, two weeks ago, uh, we finished the club season now. We'll just mention in passing, shall we, Dan, that Racing I won think we have to, the yeah. Trofeo de Campeones. So I think we should. Yeah. Um, perhaps you could provide us with a little bit of a review because it did go mildly viral outside Argentina. From what I heard, I was on holiday by the time the full-time whistle went, of course. Um, because there were eight, nine, ten red cards shown towards the end of that match. More, I, saw I think. increasing numbers going up. But on sofa score, when I first checked, it showed six for Boca and two for Racing. And at the match, it officially... The match officially ended because Five Boca, Boca fell below seven players on the pitch rather mm. than because the time ran out, although it was like yes. ten seconds to play or something, wasn't it? No, I think in total there were ten. Eight and two. Right. Plus Boca's coach, Iwara. Because mm-hmm. there was like five Boca players and three subs who got so, uh, sent off. No, actually, what man. happened? No, eleven because one of uh, Rasmus' subs got, got sent off as well. So tell us, about, tell us about what happened. It just went insane. <laughs> All insane at the end. Um... Boca took the lead through a long time Riasco of yeah. all people um, but Racing hit back almost instantly with uh, Matias Rojas pile driver from from distance mm. which Rossi probably should have saved but if it served to just put to bed once and for all the stupid talk about him going to the World Cup it was more than worth it because he's a decent enough keeper but he's not a World Cup keeper that should be evident to uh, anyone who follows Argentine football with any sort of uh, meticulousness. Um, then the red card started, a double Colombian red card, uh, when Johan Carbonero of Racing and Sebastián Vicha of Boca got sent off just at the end... Oh, I'm getting all the time. Like it's like either at the end of the first half, half or the I, end of the second half. I'll just clarify that I did end up while we were having dinner uh, the following night it was being replayed the, the match you know on the TV not on the pitch obviously um, so I did end up seeing pretty much all of the first half and like a big chunk of the second half Yeah. until about probably 65 minutes in or something and we finished dinner and went home and I didn't bother watching you know, didn't, didn't bother sitting in the restaurant for another hour to see how it ended even you missed all the fun yeah no I, I did but also I knew what was going to happen um <laughs> So, yeah, let me just get the details from the match up, though, and we can confirm this. So those first two red cards were... At the end of the first half. the end of the second half. Ah, the end of the second so half. So both 90 minutes plus five, Bichat and Cardinal oh, wow. were sent off. And then extra time began. Then extra time began. Boga had another player sent off. I want to say Barilla, who was unfairly yep. sent off by kicking someone very hard in the bollocks. For some reason, that's a red... A second yellow card offence, Boca, so, yeah. for some reason, protested, but it seemed very uh, 
clear cut from where I was sitting. Um, Racing took the opportunity there with the 10 to 9 man advantage to push on. Finally got the breakthrough in injury time or right on the end of the second half of extra time when Carlos Alcaraz headed home um, after a very nice move from Racing. And then Boca, basically Boca did Boca things. Uh, Alcaraz uh, happened to be celebrating and very happy with himself in the corner close to where Boca's fans were. Uh, from what I've heard, I think you're downplaying this a bit, right? He, he celebrated right in their faces, didn't he? But I mean, he scored at the end where where they, all where they were standing like. Okay. Was, he, was he supposed to run up the other end of the pitch and, and, do, do, you, and do a celebration? As I said, this is the bit that I haven't seen. And from what I understood yeah. from what I'd read, he'd been like standing in front of the stands, kissing the badge while looking at all of Boca's fans or something like that. No, he'd taken for a shirt what off is, and just stood in a pretty meaningless match as well. <laughs> nah, I mean, you're 19 years old and you score a last minute winner well, in any sort yeah. of um, competition. They, yeah. Boca players got angry because... Instead of crying, he smiled at the people that were in the in the stands. I mean, what else is he supposed to do? And you can't excuse Boko. He just went like a bunch of absolute fucking animals to attack him and like pulling his ears, pushing him. It was absolutely disgraceful. No, they don't know how to lose. That's it, and it's not the first time it's happened this season either, because it ha- almost exactly the same thing happened with Onyan uh, when uh, Troshansky scored a last-minute penalty and celebrated in front of. Yeah the Bombanera homestand because that's where he was that's where he scored the goal and they all just jump on him it's but, like and th- when there were no no away crowd uh, yeah the mm. supporters indeed um, so it's not the first time uh, Boca have done this and then they just completely lost their heads uh, so first of all Alcaraz from what I can see here there is no second yellow card although he had been booked a few minutes before the goal the Symbol here is just for a straight red. So he got sent off for the celebration. Yes. Yes. And he's got a free match ban. <laughs> okay. As did Troshansky for daring to make fun of Boca. Because obviously that's a cardinal sin. And then Luis Advincula, Carlos Zambrano, Frank Fabra for a second yellow card, and Dario Benedetto all got sent off for Boca. Yeah. Um, and Benedetto, I think. Uh, Fabra got a second yellow card again for kicking a racing player gratuitously and really hard in the leg and that led Boca to say the game was fixed against them it's just absolutely mind-blowing um, uh, Benedetto what a piece of work eh? he decided to for the match not to continue because when yeah. he knew that there were seven players and he did this the gesture of well the referee has been paid uh, oh, he took money yeah, and got his second yellow yes. for I think no, straight red but Tejo had to go to the bar you had to go to watch it in the bar because he didn't see that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a bar monitor, like, and you can see kind of the end of another thing, like a tussle on the bench, and then just a line image of uh, Benedetto doing the, the worldwide sign, the gesture for uh, corruption. Boca just decided to abandon it. Like They could have pushed on, they probably would have had six or seven minutes more um, of added time after all that palaver to, uh, to try and get an equaliser, but they just decided to, to walk off. Um, uh, not not a good look for Boca, I must say. But I'm glad I remembered it because as a trivia fan, and as somebody who you know, is growing up being a football fan, I've always been aware of this rule, vaguely aware that if one of the teams gets so many people sent off or injured that they drop below seven mm. players, the game has to be abandoned. Yeah. But I've never seen it happen before. I mean, I've heard of it happening in like amateur matches. Mm. 
But I've never seen it happen in such no, a high profile game either. before. Yeah. So it was, uh, Andres has shown me a picture of Benedetto making the sign that Dan's what just described. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm delighted to have sort yeah. of been witness to it, even though I didn't actually watch it. And slightly annoying now that I did miss the match. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And um, just on the racing side, as, you know, as inconsequential as this trophy might have been, it came as... Just, I think we celebrated so much because it was just a relief after coming so close in the Copa Liga Profesional, in the Liga Profesional, arguably playing like one of the best, um, one of the best kind of football out of all of the, the league in both competitions. And then just coming up short, just Perhaps. to end the season with, with something. And it's a very nice trophy, actually. It's very pretty. Perhaps the, uh, hilarious, thing, the hilarious thing is that it was a trophy of champions and Racing was the champion. Mm. Uh, because of course Boca won both both competitions and Racing mm. was second, so uh, yeah. But yes, that's the other thing though is that I I've, I've seen I saw it uh, reported in at least two or three English language websites had it down as the Argentine Super Cup, mm. which admittedly this is very confusing if you don't follow Argentine football. It's, but kind it's of, not. It's a Super Cup, it's, but it's not the Super yeah, Cup. It's the, um, if you the like. Superliga Champions yes. Trophy. Uh, because the Argentine Super Cup is the winners of the Copa Argentina against the league winners. So that will be Boca against Patronato for mm-hmm. this year, for instance. Uh, obviously, most of you lot already know that, but I'm imagining we're going to get a few people listening to this who are tuning in for the World Cup preview. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to clarify that, you can go and tell your mates if they are still talking about it. They've probably all forgotten it happened by now, because this was, what, a week and a half ago? I still haven't forgotten. It was a lot of fun. I'm Seg- so happy to win in that way. Segwaying into the main topic, however, I will first of all just mention that there are hills in the southwest of the province of Buenos Aires. There is, yes. I had heard rumours um, of this, this state of affairs. Of some sort of topographical and feature. I hadn't really ever believed that, that they were there until they started <laughs> looming up at us at the horizon. We, we drove down there. Are they big hills? Um, well, we climbed up a couple of them. Yeah, yeah we, we, there were... The first one was about 1,050 metres above sea level, the top of it. It's pretty big. And then the second one, we went up to the Hueco de la, de la Ventana, the, mm-hmm. that one with the hole in it, which is what gives it uh, right. the Sierra, the name. Um, and that was, so I'm not sure how high that is, it's like 1,150 metres or something, I think the guide said. Mm-hmm. Um, good. No, not quite as spectacular as the stuff I was walking through down in Patagonia in April. No, I can imagine. Salta three years ago, but, but closer, still very, very nice indeed. It was good fun. Um, unfortunately, being in the middle of nowhere for a week, as I mentioned on the WhatsApp group earlier, has completely resensitized my ears to the noise of the traffic on the avenue that I live on. And as a result, I've been sleeping horrifically for the last few nights. This um, is why I'd never be able to move now from my current flat because we don't have any yeah. noise at night. I don't know what to do if I had to mm. move again into a place uh, that overlooked an avenue was, or a street. One of my favourite things, things about living in that slightly starved of natural light flat <laughs> in, inside the building, you remember in San Delmo, mm. um, was the fact that it was just so nice and quiet all the time. Uh, anyway, I've been away. I'm back now. I internally was kind of debating with myself um, up until a couple of weeks ago really when we recorded the last episode about whether or not we should do a World Cup preview episode because of the nature of this particular World Cup. 
Um, everybody listening is going to be fully aware, obviously, of why it's a controversy. Uh, it's possible, I suppose, that one or two of you might not think it's all that controversial. Um, I remember still the sort of sinking feeling I had in my stomach as, as such a big World Cup history nerd, really, and lover of the World Cup as much as of football, the rest of it. Um, when Quato was, was first announced as the host, and not so much because I've got a problem with any one country being a host, but because of the whole build-up to that, the fact that it was incredibly obvious that they were only in the running because of massive amounts of bribery and corruption oh, and them. <laughs> all of the rest of it. And since then, um, not enough attention has been paid to the plight of migrant workers and everything working on the construction, fans not being able to go there or feeling like they can't go there. You know, uh, you know if they believe certain things or if they live their lives certain ways or if they are of certain orientations. Um, so I would like to just begin this preview by saying we have considered all of this, and or I have considered all of this, really, I didn't discuss it with the other guys, um, but uh, I've decided to go ahead with the preview because the World Cup is being played, ultimately, and, mm -hmm. and it is one that Argentina yes. stand a reasonable chance in, and it's not as if we're earning a lot of money for making this podcast anyway. If, if we were getting like paid a significant amount per episode or something, then I might have gone, you know what, I don't feel comfortable taking money from people to talk about this particular World Cup and just said we're not going to do a preview. Um, but people are going to want to hear about the Argentina national team's chances, so we're going to do this. I think, I'm in two minds about what to do after the tournament. I'm thinking if Argentina have a headline-worthy tournament, then we'll probably do a review of it. And if they don't, then we probably won't bother and we'll just reconvene in the new year. I'm not sure what would be headline-worthy. And so this is something, obviously, that we'll get into in a little bit more detail when we preview it. But obviously, Argentina going out in the group stage would be quite a big shock and we would need to hold oh, a Christ. pretty major post-mortem if that happened. But then I'm thinking... Round of 16 quarterfinals, probably about the sort of... If that happens, no real need to comment. If they get beyond the quarters, semis or final, mm. then we can do a review afterwards. I mean, it's, it's what I'm thinking. I'm open to... I mean, I'm happy to... Persuasion, either way. To do a couple mid-tournament as well. Will, will there be I people... Think worth, I think not, it's going to be exciting. Not celebrating whether Argentina becomes champion of the World Cup because of the bribery, and they not so regular situation with the World Cup mm. venue because United States perhaps look like a much better option to, to organize it even when United States is not the where the, the place where passion for football is uh, I mean uh, but uh, they will organize it in 2026 with Canada and Mexico but uh, for 2022 they they were like astonished when they were not chosen for, for organizing it and yeah. Well, it looks like uh, if you put quarter and United States, of course, they, they, perhaps the the option the options are clear. But if you take talk about money, perhaps it's not so clear. Hmm. No, exactly. Um, anyway, we're going to preview it. We're not going to talk about the it, that whole side of it and the logistics and everything. Also, because none of us are there, so it's not like we're going to be. Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> there are a lot of people out there who can describe it much better than us. Um, but from the footballing point of view, ignoring all of the um, insalubrious stuff, and I'm aware again that that's a big understatement, um, it feels to me like 
the first time since I've been following Argentina at World Cups that there has been the, a mood of, of enthusiasm and optimism that actually feels to me as a relatively, you know, compared with everybody who's actually Argentine, a bit of an outsider with a slightly colder view on things that feels justified. Um, you know, 2010, our first World Cup living in Argentina, Dan, you arrived nine or ten months before and I arrived Correct. about two months before it. Um, I'm sure that you, as I did, would go for drinks in bars, get talking to fans, and they would all be like, it's destiny to win it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I Maradona still, was coach. I still clearly remember one guy who said, you know, the year ends in 10, and we've got Maradona managing us. That's a so, pretty... And I, I, this was admittedly 2 o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. several fair nets down, but I just I still remember just hearing that and thinking, oh, you, you're going to be so disappointed. I'm going to um, adapt that same thinking now, because I just realised the year ends in 22. Mm. We've got Lautaro Martinez. Diego Melito's spiritual hair, spiritual hair, destiny. Indeed. Um, but yeah, 2014 obviously felt like there wasn't very much chance of anything beyond please don't embarrass Argentina defensively, as, as Sabella himself said on a couple Yeah, of they were a solid enough team, but they didn't yeah, look like they were going to be uh, among the favourites. And then in 2018, anyway. there wasn't really any kind of optimism, yeah. even from the more rabid fans because everybody hated Scaloni so much and it, so it turned out to all Some the players and, San Paoli sorry yes you're quite right and so it, it, as it turned out so did all the players all plus the, the squad players. was just awful just and a whole group. load of 30 something yeah. people whose best years have um, been a long time before I'm looking at you Bilia Macherano Enzo Perez mm. and God knows who else Marco Rojo what a terrible Argentina team that was and it wasn't that the players weren't there either because you had Paredes, who didn't even go, Lautaro Martinez, who didn't even go, a couple of other guys. Uh, I remember before that World Cup, the big, the big groundswell of uh, support was for Ricardo Centurion getting into the World Cup yeah. squad. Do you remember that? That was pretty insane. <laughs> and he was playing really, really well at that time. Uh, but that feels like a long time ago, even longer than four years. What's he done in those four years that have gone past, apart from a lot of bad things? Are we talking about Centurion things. still? Centurion. He was yes. in, the, in the list and then... Centurion. It was in the preliminary list and then... He was one of the cuts, ah. yeah. Hmm. We were like, what? He's playing so well. I mean, in time, yeah. Good take, perhaps. Indeed. But, uh, but that was a sh- really shit World Cup. But this time round, we have a strong squad. Yes. A, a, a squad that, although we will get into... Uh, the, some of the chopping and changing aspects of the squad that's still going on at the moment to a s- small degree of, and, and, and let's be honest, a pretty manufactured degree of controversy uh, in the press right now, um, who are playing together really well as a group and who have been throughout the qualification uh, period and throughout, I think, importantly, this manager's um, mandate that they've been it feels like this group has, has grown together mm-hmm. um, and for me I think this is and the big one psychologically the trophy drops over that's a huge one Argentina shows, are yeah. going into the World Cup as champions of something already mm-hmm. and there's six matches unbeaten yeah which is a situation they haven't been in since 1994 mm-hmm. when they were very much at the end of a cycle yes Maradona more than more than most but you know rather than the beginning or in the middle of one um, and I, I just I, as the, the part of me that's an Argentina fan feels 
optimistic about this. It feels slightly dangerous to be saying this on a podcast with so many listeners that's going, you know, you kind of want to whisper it and not be too cocky about it. Um, but yeah, I, I think Argentina can do some damage this year. Absolutely. I think it's impossible not to, not to feel at least a little bit quietly optimistic about this tournament because um, uh, you look around the other teams and you think, who is who arrives better to this World Cup in a better state than Argentina? And there aren't many because a lot of the European teams have been, I know they've, it's hard to gauge everything on the nation's lead because some of them take it a little bit seriously. Some of them, like England, don't take it seriously at all. Uh, so it's hard to say what kind of a yardstick that really is for um, for knowing how good a team is. But you look at you know the results and how it should be playing, and and you think that Argentina and and of course Brazil um, they they should be in the mix this year. Um, it's a it's a strong South American contingent all round. To be honest, I'm I'm really excited for for all of the five team the four teams. Sorry because of course Peru didn't make it. Uh, all of the four participants um, with Uruguay and Ecuador, I think, uh, have a chance of of doing really well in uh, in the World Cup. Um, the Bayern Castillo will finally not go to the World Cup. No, he got injured, right? Just before. Oh, after all that? After all that, yeah. That's a shame. <laughs> that, yeah, poor lad. The year he's had. Yeah. Um... But yeah, definitely Argentina. Um, I keep coming back to to the spine. I think the spine is uh, is so important for Argentina. Dibu Martinez, absolute legend. Uh, the centre back pairing is actually good, even if Romero, who's one of these guys who's been injured, not injured, we we don't know whether he'll make the first game. But even if he can't make it, you have Otamendi and Lisandro Martinez. Who are both in in good nick at the moment? And yeah, well, we've slagged Otamendi off before. When I say we, I mean I have slagged Otamendi. Oh, we all have we many times have. On, on this yes. podcast. Um, but I will just say that Benfica, who I did watch uh, three or four of their Champions mm. League group games for pretty obvious reasons that begin with Enzo and end with Fernandez. Um, but they've been brilliant in that. By all accounts, they've been very good so far in the league as well. I've not seen any Portuguese league. Well, Benfica so, finished first in the group stage of the Yeah, league. exactly. Uh, and Otamendi has been a key part of that. Indeed. Right? Which feels bizarre yeah. to, to say, uh, having you know watched him uh, up until he moved to yeah. Benfica, which was the beginning of last season, I think. He's been there a year and a half now, or two and a half years. I think a year and a half, yeah. But whenever Perhaps was, age has made him a little bit less of an idiot, Yeah, which would be great. Um, well, I, I also sorry to interrupt. Yes. Yeah, I also at some point last year I did um, I transcribed and translated from Spanish into English um, an interview that Jack Lang did with him uh, for the Athletic mm-hmm. uh, because Jack didn't have time to do it himself basically, so he sent me the audio over and I did it for him. Um, and in that, he sounded like someone who I think the change of club yeah. sort of did him well, and also he he's. He, he sounds like a, a guy who is very switched on and very knowledgeable and thinks a lot about the game. Mm. Um, and he spoke really quite well about sort of what he learned from his, uh, just the experience that he's gained, mm. essentially. So, you know, he knows he's not the quickest defender in the world, yes. for example. <laughs> uh, but he's got a bunch of other mental tools up there that, uh-huh. that can help him out. I mean, I personally, I think I would still prefer Romero and Martinez as the centre-back pairing. 
Justifiably so. I wouldn't change to them right now, given no. that they don't tend to play together for Argentina and we're actually coming into the World Cup now. Um, and yeah, as you say, Otamendi and Romero, first choice. And if Romero doesn't make it, then Lisandro Martinez, obviously I'm biased, but you said it first. He oh, he's been, a bad replacement. No, he's been brilliant. A little bit further up the pitch, Rodrigo de Paul, just a machine for Argentina. Had another brilliant game yesterday. Oh, we haven't mentioned the result. They won 5 0 against he never stops. the United he even... Arab Emirates. He never stops, no. Uh, he just does everything. Um, and then Leandro Paredes next to him. I know certain members of the Hannibal community aren't massive fans of him, <coughs> Tony, but. I've never seen any problem with Paris. I think what he does, he does well. Um, he doesn't do a huge amount, but what he does, he he comes through on. And then, yeah, um, up front, to have a partnership like Lautaro Martinez and Messi at your disposal is it's just an absolute luxury. Um, yeah, I think you said it the last time we talked about the national team, which would have been after the last, or, or just before the last international break. Mm. Um, but although, clearly... The best player in Argentina's team is, you know, no no secret. Arguably, the one who is actually irreplaceable is mm. Lautaro Martinez, up yes, front, rather than absolutely. Messi. Uh, and that's a little bit worrying because he is injured at the moment. He didn't he, play yesterday. Yeah, he's got a he's got a strain. Um, apparently, he's not in any danger of missing the first game. Mm-hmm. Um, but. The way Julian Alvarez is going, I might even have to revise my um, my assessment because he's been brilliant. Yeah, he scored again um, yeah. on Wednesday. He opened the scoring, in fact, from a... Lionel Messi pass. Messi pass, of course it was. I thought it was Di Maria, but it was Swift camera. Um, 17 minutes in, Angel Di Maria hit a double. The first one was set up by Marcos Acuna and the second Two by... Two beautiful goals. Second yes. by a midfielder we haven't even mentioned yet in talking about the strengths. Alexis McAllister, who's... Not having a bad career so far. No, he might well be. Um, it's been starting for this World Cup because obviously Giolo Celso is. It's yeah. between him and Papu Gomez, I think, the ones who could uh, be in, yeah. in his place. I, know, I don't know. Gomez is another injury doubt as well, right? It's, no, no. He's, he's not as seriously as, as the other two. But he was, he's okay from the bang in his knee, but he will be a value. Oh, there we go. Messi made it. Yeah, it's almost if they're listening. Uh, Messi made it 4-0 on the stroke of half-time, uh, set up by Di Maria, and beautiful in the second half, Argentina eased off a bit, but Joaquin Correa s- pounced on a Depaul pass mm. to... You don't really pounce on a pass from your own team, do you? So, d- took advantage of an assist. Latched on, maybe? Is that, the, the, is that the, uh, the verb you're looking for? Well done, it's almost as if Expensive goal, that, before. for him. It was, yeah. Um, one hour in exactly mm. to make it 5-0 and that was how it finished and that's about all Joaquin Correo is going to do in the Middle East this World Cup because he is now because he's now out is he? yeah him and Nicolas Gonzalez have been ruled out via injury today oh okay after I saw Gonzalez had, had been ruled out and Angel Correo no. has been called up in his place yes yeah. and now Joaquin's out too after Scaloni was pretty withering about is him Correa it seems or... that he didn't tell Scaloni he was injured oh, wow. uh, before coming on yesterday. Now he's fucked. Is Correa on for Correa and Almada on for... Yes, Thiago Almada is in. I see. Oh, American. Um, yes. Well, uh, uh, he, he wasn't born in the States, was he? No, not at all. He was no. born in the CLA. Of course he was, yes, because he, he's moved from Belez to Emma. Yes. No, the reason I asked that was that Argentina are one of four national teams at this World Cup who have a squad entirely made up of players born in their own country. Is that right? Yeah. The oh. others are Brazil... Mm-hmm. South Korea, 
And I've forgotten the third one. Uh, hang on, give me a second. Carry on. So tell us about Thiago Almada while I look up on my football trivia group on WhatsApp uh, who the other one were. Uh, Thiago Almada is Atlanta United's young star. We obviously saw him a lot. Saudi while playing Arabia. Saudi Arabia. There we go. We obviously saw him a lot here while playing for Villas. And by all accounts, after a fairly muted start in MLS, he's gone from strength to strength. Featured earlier in the year in one of Argentina's friendlies and played really, really well. Uh, I can't remember if it was this recent one against Honduras or Jamaica, or if it was before that in the finalissima slash friendly with Estonia window. But he played and he, he played well. Didn't look like it would be enough to get to the to World Cup because obviously competition for places is so fierce amongst... Um, the Argentina I think that the for the position of the in which he can play, he could be not be, he hasn't been playing a lot for Argentina, but instead of Chelsea. But he was yeah. a second, an, an early in the second oh. half sub for Papo Gomez against Honduras, oh. and he played really, really well. I remember. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I think he set up a goal, didn't he? Yes. Did he set up Messi's third in that game? Very, that yes, very game. possibly. Um, he played really well in. Uh, in any case. That feels like a pretty big moment for MLS as well, without wanting to be too patronising to our American listeners, but to have a player called up for one of the teams who are genuinely going to be competing for this. Oh, team. absolutely, yeah. Um, so congratulations, Americans. In, in many ways, it could be your victory. Well, I, I read yesterday that uh, the MLS carried 36 players, well, now we 37 players mm. to, the, to the World Cup, so it's a lot. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot in Europe. In the Uruguay squad, I think Ecuador have got a few. United States, obviously. Canada. Um, yeah, it must be the biggest MLS contingent um, ever, I would imagine. So I found it interesting a couple of minutes ago when you said that Scaloni was quite pissed off with Joaquin Correa for not mm. telling him he was injured. We said so in the press conference yesterday. Yeah, there, uh, there was a... They're all big boys. They should be able to tell me if they're not feeling all right. There was a big fuss in the mixed zone as well, apparently, last night after the match, mm. which I... Mixed zone would be before the press conference, maybe yes. on the way to the press conference. Correct. Because the first person who Scaloni talked to in the mixed zone uh, asked about the injury situation, and Scaloni, who had previously said, like a month or so ago, gave an interview and said, "I'm not going to call up anybody who's got any injury problems," yeah. said, uh, "There are four people that we still got some doubts about, but it's fine because we can change members of the squad until." I think it's this, for Argentina it's this Monday, right? Because they could yes. change up until the day before their first Correct. match, I think. Um, so he went against something he'd said before, and as he was walking around talking to other people in the mixed zone, so this obviously, through Twitter, made its way back very rapidly to Argentina, and there was a big fuss, and it went on the sort of TV talk shows, sports talk shows that we're watching right now, as we record this. Um, and people were up in arms, and so somebody asked him about it, like 10 or 15 minutes later, still in the mixed zone and he had to backtrack a bit and was like no no look we're, we're going to be everybody's fine but there are a couple who aren't 100% and so there's nothing to panic about that's all I meant to say kind of thing and now today's cut to yeah um, so perhaps not the 100% best situation for Lionel Scaloni mm. he must be a little bit frustrated that it's gone down like this uh, but at least none of them he's not the only coach at this World Cup who's um is that to, uh, to deal with this, let's be fair. Basically because this is such a fucking ridiculous World Cup where club football was being played a week before it started. Yeah. Uh, it was inevitable already. Um, 
No, indeed, yeah. I mean, it was always going to be, be a big issue. Uh, and in fact, I, I think it probably contributed to... Uh, I admittedly didn't pay attention to many of the other big leagues in Europe at the weekend, but there were a few surprise results in the Premier League at the weekend. And a part of me wonders, like, is this down to some of the players at the bigger clubs maybe holding something a bit back because they're aware that the World Cup is coming I mean, you could time. hardly blame them for that, if that were the case. All yeah. credit to Brentford, for instance, mm-hmm. for that win over City. But had City not... All of City's players, pretty much, I'm assuming, are going to be at the World Cup, mm-hmm. obviously, apart from Harland. Um, you know, if they'd been going full pelt, then do Brentford stand a chance of getting that win? Mm, yeah. anyway. We're not talking about oh. the Premier League anyway, we're talking about Argentina at yes. the World Cup. Um, starting 11s. I'm looking at Argentina's 11 from last night and trying to translate it. And as you say, Julian Alvarez, in his current form, and also, as relatively speaking, probably one of the fresher players in the team because of the fact he's competing for a place with Haaland mm-hmm. at club level. Um, not necessarily the worst replacement, perhaps, for Lautaro Martinez. Elsewhere, so the, the 11 that started last night was Emiliano Martinez in goal. Juan Foyt, Nicolás Otamendi, Lisandro Martínez, Marcos Acuña across the back. Um, Sofa Scorer put it as a 4-4-2, so I'm going to read it like that. Ángel Di María, Leandro Paredes, Rodrigo de Paul, Alexis McAllister um, across midfield, and Messi and Alvarez up front. I'm looking at that and thinking, in terms of the starting 11 for the first match and what we'd expect, obviously mm-hmm. Romero, if he's fit enough, will come in for probably Martínez. Um, I'm not sure that I'd necessarily make that change, but okay. Tagliafico, if he's fit enough, might come in for Acuna. Especially considering Acuna is one of the guys who's a little bit uh, struggling with his fitness. Yeah, um, but Tagliafico at the moment isn't as fit as Anyway, Acuna has this problem since a lot of time, and apparently he doesn't. He can play with that anyway, because he's playing with that. That, that noise was uh, because Dan's patio doors have just been blown open. <laughs> Let me close this. Oh, it's a nice breeze coming through, but it's probably not worth the, the bangs. Prop it open if you've got a door stuck. Oh, I'll leave it like that and I'll sort it out during our half time break. Yeah, the main thing is that the glass doesn't smash on us while recording. That would, yeah, or at any time, Rick. Um, but the one, sort of the, the, the big points, that I, and again, obviously, you know, my, my own. Uh, proclivities would probably lead me to consider Enzo mm. Fernandez in place of Alexis McAllister, especially against Saudi Arabia. You know, maybe mm. a bit more of a risk if you've got to play Mexico or Poland first, but playing Saudi first, maybe. I'm just putting it out there. Um, but the one point that I think really that's Argentina's weak point on the pitch, and if I'm an opposing manager, I'm going to target that, is right back. Yes. Juan Foyt, and if not him, Gonzalo Montiel or Nahuel Molina. None of whom are bad, no. just to be clear. But f- neither of the three has done anything to think yeah. to, for you to say, that's my right back. And I'm, I'm, told, I'm told that Foyt um, was named in the 2021-22 to 22 La Liga team of the season at, from right back. Yeah. Uh, but all I can say is that... He looked really him, sly last night. Though. What we've seen of him whenever he's played there for Argentina last has night. been... Again, not poor, but just uninspiring. Yeah. And also, Argentina won last year's Copa America, and he wasn't in the squad. I I, yeah, because I, of a last-minute injury, he was clearly the first choice right back like, up to that point. But well, still. he suffered some 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 time some place uh, yesterday with, against Emirates. So no, I think it's going to be either Molina or Montiel. 
I find it very hard to choose between each of them because they're essentially the same player. Yeah, and I did um, notice that last, last night at half time, um, although I think Foyt played the entire match. They switched yeah. to a back five. They switched yeah. to a back five with Foyt moving to the right sided centre back role, and at half time, both Montiel and Molina were sent on. Nice. So Montiel replaced Alexis McAllister and played right wing back. Mm-hmm. And Molina, not, left. Molina played right wing back. I mean, having no, he's the, he playing the left, I think. And Molina and, and uh, Montiel played in midfield, I think, right? Or Molina right? playing the left, I think. Right. Because yes. Zaccaroni came off. Basically, Scaloni clearly wanted to take a look at all three of them. Yes. yes. Um, and, and try and work something out. As I said, none of them are bad. No. Naming any one of them there isn't going to be a significant drop off in quality. But it's also clearly the sort of the weakest point. Now, here we go. TC is listening to us again and says again. Molina has got the edge over Mondial. I think someone stuck into your yeah. living room and bugged it now. Um, and also somebody, someone, somebody in, in TC TC, TC, yeah. speak English as well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, kind of, it's the weak point. Now, the rest of the pitch, frankly, if I'm looking at anybody mm. else on, on any 11 that Argentina can name and I'm an opposing manager, uh, I'm going to be looking at it from behind the sofa, curled into a ball. Weeping <laughs> uncontrollably, yes. Yes, and um, possibly praying. Um, because really, I mean, when a player who is having, again, uh, sorry to continue banging the same drum, but when a player is having the season, the year, the calendar year that Enzo Fernandez is having, is just like, might get on in the second half as a mm. substitute if he's lucky and nobody's really got a major problem with that fact. Yes. Um, you've got yourself a strong midfield. And one of the big things that we have talked about that I've said many times through the history of this podcast, uh, and back when I wrote about football, I'd, I'd write it occasionally as well, is that what Argentina lacked for such a long time was a midfielder who was playing for one of the you know, top clubs in Europe and running proceedings for them. And now you've got Paredes, who's just moved from one of the top clubs in Europe to another, and is a solid, regular starter. You've got Depal, who uh, had a shaky first season in Spain, from what I heard, after moving from Udinese to Atletico, but is now very much back on track. He's appointing uh, players to transfer, but... Yeah. yeah. And you've got players like McAllister and Fernandez who aren't at, with all due respect to Benfica and obviously to Brighton as well, yeah, they, 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 are less likely to have a problem, aren't it, at two of the biggest clubs, in the very biggest clubs in Europe. The other weekend he, he scored against uh, uh, Ivo Martinez mm. for Brighton, he, he scored uh, a goal against uh, Aston Villa. So, mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's gone from this point a, few, a couple of years ago where it was like, oh, everybody always talks about Argentine midfielders because they're... You know, the fantasistas, the central midfielders, you've got Italians and Argentines, and that's the sort of, the exotic, the, the ones who've got the control of the ball and everything. But for right. such a long time, it was more reputation than what they were actually doing out there on the pitch and what Argentina could call up. Well, with and now they've genuinely got a really strong central midfield. With Diego Almada in the list, or the squad, you have some of that. Uh, yeah. of that uh, I, I see it more similarly even to... To Lo Celso, perhaps. Mm. Uh, even when he won't be playing right away because he is like he jumped into the squad uh, after playing a, a, a bit in, in, in his friendly. But uh, but uh, as a potential player or the qualities he has, I I think he he's like a playmaking like Lo Celso, perhaps. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm struggling to see many other weaknesses. Obviously, 
don't know very much about any of the other teams at this World Cup, including England. I mean, mm. I really don't pay very much attention to football. <laughs> if, if it's not in Argentina and it's not Manchester United, I don't know an awful lot about it these mm. days. Um, well, the, 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 who are the course, other? It's Argentina, but uh, I think there are, see, England has similar players in terms of the... They, they were in doubt because some injuries there. So Argentina and England, in that case, perhaps are... My, so... Actually, this is a worthwhile comparison, though, because obviously, having said what I just said, England are probably the, the other national team who I know the most about outside South America, even though I don't know as much about England as I maybe... I was going to say should, but no, let's not go down there. Yeah. Let's just say as I could, yeah. um, due to time difference and just the fact that so many of their matches in the Nations League are on direct TV. And a bit rubbish. Which I don't have. And yeah, but the impression that I've had from them... At, I mean, mainly from watching the Euros, mm. was that, and, and comparing it to how they played at the last World Cup, was throughout the last World Cup, obviously, reached a semi-final, mm. which is something we haven't done in, uh, hang on, at the last World Cup. I'm, I'm going to do 28 Mads, years. Subtract four. Yeah, thank you. Since 1990. Um, that was wonderful. It was great fun. It was very exciting. The football wasn't the most liquid football. Oh, um, right. Ever displayed at a at a summer tournament, um, and one of the things that I said on various occasions to my mates back home was that I wanted England to, in, you know, in the next few years, rather than in, in in the midst of that tournament, to find a a more creative player from the centre of the pitch, mm. so that it wasn't just let's try and win lots of set pieces and let's pelt it down the wings. Um, it's wonderful to see the team playing football and playing with a plan and cohesively, but that they were just lacking that little bit of spark and creativity. And watching them at the Euros three years later, I saw the same thing. I mean, very yeah. solid at the back, playing with a plan, better than nearly all of the teams that they come up against, but there's still just not that thing. Whereas Argentina, I mean, obviously when you compare this team to the team that played at the last World Cup, it's absolute night and day. But there's been, as I said at the beginning of this preview, there's been a clear evolution even from when Scaloni took over. You can see the team coming together, everybody's playing together, and they don't have the issue of a lack of creativity. No. I mean, if there's one team in the tournament who don't have an issue with a lack of creativity, uh, then it's Argentina. But then you think England shouldn't have a problem with creativity, creativity surely? If you've got players like Foden, Sancho, Bellingham. Well, they haven't got Sancho. Well. But they're in the mix. Because they've not named him. And I think that, that might be part of it. For, yeah. in, in my opinion, as somebody who's just said, I don't really know very much about England. Um, Southgate's wonderful. I wonder if he's been a bit too timid for a bit too long. I almost feel like Argent uh, England now have the same problem, which has dogged Argentina for almost every World Cup we can remember except this one. In that they have loads of attacking options, but not really very much at the back which means that, that they can't afford to go they for can't it. afford to go for it so they have to always have four defenders and two holding midfielders which means that all of the really really good creative attacking players are essentially fighting for three spots on the pitch because obviously Harry Kane's got the, the centre forward spot um, sign up mm. that seems a big problem for England That's that would be my very uh, amateur analysis not having watched a whole load of their games and when I do usually either turning them off or just having them in the background as as white noise because yeah. they're really dull 
It's, it's just an interesting comparison to make, I think, because in terms of the evolution since the 2018 World Cup, mm. England seemed to me to have more or less stood still. Yeah, sort of spun around in circles yeah. on the spot, yeah. You know, like, I wouldn't be surprised, I, I, I'd be delighted if they reached a semi-final again, but I wouldn't be massively shocked if they were like quarter-finalists or semi-finalists. Mm. Um, and yet, there's just, I, I can't imagine them winning it still. No. Um, whereas Argentina went out in the round of 16 last time. Yes. And that would be a very, very disappointing result for them this season. This, this season? This year, I think. Yes. Um, so yeah, we're going to take a half-time break now, and when we come back, we will continue to talk about the Argentine national team and what might happen at the World Cup. Uh, and we will also be listening, listening? No, answering some listeners' questions, <laughs> assuming that you've tweeted them, because I only mentioned that we were recording right as we started to. So don't go away. been on a break it ended up getting slightly extended because we were discussing how many cities actual cities there are in Quata um, I was pretty sure that when the tournament was originally awarded to Quata there was one which was Doha we've had a look into the other venues including Lusail which is where Andres tells me Argentina's first matches and is also of course where the final is going to be played and it looks to me like they're all pretty much suburbs of, um, of Doha uh, perhaps not officially in the same way as places like Avellaneda and mm. Lanús and Banfield and Tigre aren't officially um, suburbs of the city of Buenos Aires but are cities in their own right um, you know it might be different jurisdictions but they seem to be all one urban sprawl to me um, which is just another reason uh, another example of FIFA breaking their own rules to award this tournament because they have this supposed thing where you can't have more than two stadiums in one city and you're only allowed one city with two stadiums if you're going to host the World Cup. Uh, but there we go. Anyway, what else should we talk about? Oh, that thing that came up on the television uh, while we were talking. Apparently, Angel Correa has won everything he has represented Argentina in. The mm -hmm. Sudamericano Sub-20, didn't say which year, because we were just going from uh, a Chiron at the bottom of the screen. It would have been, I want to say... 2020? 2013, possibly. 2020? Nah. Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, he's old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, the Copa America, last year, obviously, and the, um, the Finalissima, which I can't remember the official proper name of now, but the, the one that was branded the Finalissima against Italy. So apparently the Copa America last year is the only tournament he's played with for the national team. Very which possibly. surprises yeah. me and yet also doesn't surprise me at the same time, which makes it a really interesting yeah. stat because I can't think of too many others that are both surprising and then not surprising. No. But anyway, that's something that we wanted to say and has now been said. Um, next. Uh, we, we could go on. S swerve back to local football very quickly because we have 
two new coaches for two top big five teams. We do, yeah. We've uh, we sort of discussed Demi Chelis at River. Uh, we discussed the possibility of Demi Chelis at River last time we recorded a little bit, didn't we? But it's mm. now been confirmed. He was announced yesterday. yesterday. I was about to say today, but it wasn't today, was it? 2015 um, uh, was Correa's two uh, under twenty ah, one okay. South American Championship win. Um, Andres, happy? Not still happy, but uh, expect. Uh, I I mean I expect, uh, uh, and and himself said that that the idea is to continue. Of course, not with the same names or the same coach because Richard is not anymore. But to continue line. A, a lot of the same backroom staff, though. Yes, I think the team psychologist. Uh, no, I think, I think the team, the main doctor, has changed, but he's had a very extensive chat with the previous guy. No, the, uh, the doctor of the squad will be still Pedro Hansen, who is the uh-huh. the one who appears in the bench with him. Right. The the, the change was that there was uh, now there is a full department of neurosciences hmm. where Sandra Rossi, the former neurosciences for the squad, will be the head of that department, and Mariela Arangio, who was the Neuroscientist of the reserves now will be in the first team. Right. So she will replace Sandra Rossi. Um, no, the, the big news is that when no one, well, there were there were speculations, but not nothing confirmed. But when River played against uh, Betis the other day, the the friendly, the, mm-hmm. the they won four 0 Javier Pinola announced that he will retire that day. So that was his only his uh, last match. And he's joined the coaching staff. Yes, and as a result, like like it has, has been said, uh, he will join the Michelis along with Herman Lux. So the two assistants, or field assistants for the Michelis will be Herman Lux and Javier Pinola. Yeah, uh, that uh, friendly against Betis was, I didn't realise, I, I, I was aware that they were playing two friendlies. I didn't realise that it was apparently part of a triangular tournament. Um, yes. I'm not sure. Yep, Colo Colo played Betis as well and beat them 5-0. Yes. Um, but River, prior to beating Betis, um, and had, had also beaten Colo Colo 4-3 yes. um, after coming back from... Well, they went 2-0 up, then they went 3-2 down before the break, and yes. then they scored twice in the second half to win 4 yes. That sounds like a quite yes. a good match. Very well defending. Yeah, I mean, only a friendly, so completely yes. meaningless, but still, that sounds entertaining. So as a result of winning both their matches, of course, River uh, won that track. It was a, a friendly so, with the so smell. River did win a trophy yes. under Marcelo Gachardo yeah. in 2022 yes. to see yes. it off. It was a friendly with the smell of a Copa Libertadores match because uh, some months ago, uh, not some months ago, uh, several months ago, they played each other for Copa Libertadores and the Estadio El Sausalito in Viña del Mar was fully, fully crowded. So it was the atmosphere of a, of a match for three points mm-hmm. uh, and it was crazy uh, crazy because of the poor defending of both teams and high scoring of course uh, well, as, as, you, as you may see in the results and also one of Betis' centre-backs after River had gone 4-3 up managed to get himself sent off uh, which for an end of year friendly it's a bit much <laughs> on, only it, in yeah. South America <laughs> um, so now yes he's yeah. there uh, and the expectations are high of course mm-hmm. uh, yeah I'm I'm I need to get in touch with uh, a couple of one or two writers that I know uh, in Germany because obviously we don't really know anything about Debbie Chambers as a coach. He's, he's spent four years, I think it is, uh, managing Bayern München 2, Bayern München 2, I should say. 
um, who are currently in the Regional Liga, for one of the Regional Ligas in Germany. Uh, and uh, I think they, the article I read the other day said that they won his last match in charge, something like 4 0, and as a result, are fifth in the table. Yes. So he's not exactly had spectacular success in those four years. He's not in, you know, no. the. Bundesliga 2 and only not in the top flight because, because it, it has been said whether I know whether this is 100% precise but that the main goal of his duty was to carry or to finish the process of the well the formation of the players mm. to then yeah exactly to, to anybody who's playing well yes. is going to get bumped up to the first team yes um, uh, but yeah it's an interesting one I, I think partly because obviously it's his first first team job but not his first job in competitive football, at least, even though it's far and away uh, a higher level than what Bayern have been playing at. Uh, um, Bayern 2 have been playing at, I should say. Um, and also because it, it has to be, you know, he was, at the end of the day, he was contracted to Bayern Munich. And so to have a coach move from that situation where he mm. maybe, you know, could have been dreaming one day of getting bumped up to the first team, or if not, to another big team, you know, as I mentioned last time we recorded, Eric Ten Hag used to be, you know, he's one of his pre, uh, David Chelis' predecessors at, at Bayern Zwei, and then he moved on to Ajax and then to United. Um, so I, it's interesting that that move has happened from one of the biggest clubs in Europe, where presumably he was getting paid a fair chunk, to coming to manage in South America. Uh, in circumstances that are, you know, a little bit different from, say, when Jorge Jesus rocked up at, at Benfica having already had this fantastic career and fancying a new challenge. Sorry, at Benfica? No, from Benfica. From to Flamengo. Flamengo. To Flamengo. Flamengo. That's what I meant to say. Um, and, you know, wanting a new challenge and also moving to a club who can pay him yes. in, in dollars or in euros. Yes, George yes. Jesus may have thought, well, I will go to Flamengo and win a couple of dollars and I go back to Portugal. Mm. And he made it. Um, he had a lot of experience, of course, just the other way to... to, to, to uh, the Michelis, who has known experience in coaching first division, but well, we don't know exactly how he will play because he wants to talk with the players. But as the few words he said about the idea he has is to a dynamic team with uh, trying to all the time think ab about the the the, the 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 goal of the of the rival, but as a defender also to have a solid uh, uh, back, of yeah. course. Um, I was going to say something else as well. I forgot what it what is. What were you going to say? I was saying... Uh, no, I can't remember. Huh? Um, anyway, the other big five team... Oh, that was it. Sorry, I just remember. I knew that if I went on to the next point, it was going to come back to me. <laughs> um, uh, near, not at the start, but quite near the start of Debbie Chavis' career, of course, as a player, he moved from River to Bayern at the age of 22. And he's now moving near the start but not at the start of his managerial career, from Bayern to River. And mm. he turns 42, I think it's next week. Oh. So it's A neat symmetry. Almost yes. exactly 20 years later, going the opposite direction, which was one of the points he... I don't think he mentioned that he's about to turn 42, um, but it was one of the points that he made um, in the press conference yesterday as well. Mm. Now, Dan, you said two of the big five have changed managers. Indeed. I'm so out of touch that I am genuinely asking the question here. I'm assuming it's not Bocker. I'm also assuming it's not Racing. So which of Independiente and San Lorenzo appoints the new manager? Uh, you may remember we talked about this a few weeks ago uh, with Santiago. 
and we all knew at that point that with the change in administration at Independiente, they were going to be yes. looking for a new coach. And I remember several big names were bandied around. So they've got for Carlos Tevez, right? Uh, Tevez joking. was one of them. Really? Ricardo Gareca uh, was mentioned. Gabriel Ainsi was mentioned. Big names, you know. Um, you have to lower your expectations a bit. Uh, and I'm going to be disappointed if this is anyone I've heard of now. I think you're safe. Um, you may remember that Gustavo Quinteros came up in uh, conversations. Ex- Ecuador boss. Ecuador and I think possibly, possibly Uruguay as well, or he's at least Uruguayan. Mm-hmm. Um, most recently at Colo Colo. Uh, he, was remem- he was mentioned as, as a kind of plan B if the more renowned um, guys for some reason didn't want to take over uh, Independiente. Uh, they came close. Independiente's next coach will be Gustavo Quinteros's assistant at Colo Colo. Oh, look at that. Uh, I should say, by the way. That we Quinteros, can't afford Quinteros then. <laughs> you, you said Quinteros is Uruguayan, but he was born in Argentina, so he actually has uh, dual nationality. Oh, there we go. According to this. Um, and this guy is called Leandro Estilitano. Anything? Estilitano. Estilitano. No. <laughs> I've never heard of him, I must admit. Okay. Well, I'm um, glad to hear that. He was Quinteros' assistant at Colo Colo. Um, I think he was at Independiente in some shape or form, possibly under Olan or under some other Independiente coach. Um... And he has signed a pre-contract with Independiente. He hasn't signed the full contract yet because apparently he's still struggling to put together a backroom team. I'm also going to interrupt you again now, I'm sorry. And first of all, I'm going to give Andres a pat on the back, metaphorically, because I mentioned that he was a former Ecuador manager and Andres said, and Bolivia, and he was indeed a former Bolivia manager. And it turns out he's not got joint Argentine-Uruguayan nationality. Uh, he is Argentine, but he played for Bolivia. Um, oh. Because he spent. Oh, a bunch of time Bol- I'm thinking of someone else. Then. He spent a bunch of time playing there. He, 1989 to 91 for the strongest, then 92 in San Jose, mm. and then 93, 94 for the strongest again. So at some yeah. point uh, in the 90s, he won 26 caps and scored one goal for Bolivia. There we go. But this isn't the guy we're talking about. No, it's neither here nor there Le- because Le- um... Leandro Espiritano. <laughs> It's Stilitano. Stilitano. We'll, we'll get better at this. Ne- I'll get better at this. Next I need to remember that. Yeah, I got it down. But Stilitano. Yes. Um, so congratulations in the beginning. I mean, they might have. You, know, you went for Garica Ainsi and got someone. I don't think any of us could pick out of the police lineup, but maybe he's good. In um, fairness, you know, as we've just been saying about River. Demi Chalice doesn't have any first team experience either. <laughs> the difference is that we've heard of Demi Chalice, but it's for true. all we know, he might be exactly as good as a manager. So Very possibly, yes. Um, and the bar will probably be a little bit lower in the Biente than at River. Yes, although as um, Rodolfo Donofrio apparently put it in a text message to Demi Chalice, according to something Demi Chalice said mm-hmm. in the press conference yesterday, um, River aren't giving Demi Chalice a, a high bar to clear. They're giving him a low floor. From which yeah. to start. Good luck with that. And it, to an extent, I can see where they're coming from. Like, if I were, if, if I was a manager who had my pick of any of the teams in Argentina, mm-hmm. and you had Independiente and River both offering you jobs, I think, I mean, the pressure's going to be higher at River. 
but you're also starting from a slightly better you could read that slightly you could read that as don't compare to Gallardo indeed yeah um, but this wasn't the only groundbreaking news that came out of Independiente this week because the new administration at, uh, headed by President Fabian Doman uh, released open the books basically oh um, yes let everyone take a look now, at um, just how badly they've been run before um, before Dan continues I'm going to say when he says one of the things he's about to say you're going dear listeners to think oh god I wish Santi was involved in this episode <laughs> recording so that we could ask him about it um, we do as well but unfortunately Santi can't get away from work early enough to make it you know, sensible for us to record with him. Uh, but we're going to try and remember this so that we can take the piss out of him when he is next involved. Uh, and now, with that in mind, Dan, please say what you need to say about Independiente's books. Absolutely. As of October 2022, Independiente were in debt to the tune of six billion six hundred and fifty-eight million pesos. Hang on, six billion. 658 million. I'm going to just do a quick division by about 350. That at the blue or artificial exchange rate is about just shy uh, of 20 million pounds sterling. So 40 million essentially if you took it at the official rate, which yeah. is. Which is what they what, can operate on. What they no, can actually, operate they, on. They probably got something between the two as a big business. But. Something like that, yeah. Um, which is a lot of money. It is. It's a hell of a lot of money. Um, a lot of that is, of course, um, dollar debt, which they hold with many, many players who have uh, passed through Independiente over the years. Um, Cecilio Dominguez, one of the guys who's had outstanding uh, legal battles against um, Independiente. Gaston Verón's another one, I'm sure. We can all name a uh, an Independiente yeah, we can all player who have done it. None, none of that is the reason that we wish Santi were here so we could take the piss out of him. No, yeah, but I think get to the other creditors who are named. Up. First of all, they they owe money to three different coaches, including the current one, Julio Cesar Farcioni. That's a great start. Who is still owed money from current. 2021. Uh, Miguel Angel Brindisi. Brindisi was there in like 2010. <laughs> hmm. Don't know how they still owe money. And Eduardo Dominguez, the most recent and less uh, less surprising one. Still, doesn't know this. I I I I, I want to believe. <laughs> I don't think he left to pay, but maybe. He might not get paid either no. for a long time by the look at these books. Um, but one of the most um, eye-catching items on this um, opening of the books is the debts in the BN to hold with uh, kind of providers of the club, um, suppliers. How, give, me, give me the amount, first of all. 280 million pesos. 280 million. 230 million of which is... That's £800,000 at the unofficial rate. Yeah. 230 million of which is basically cheques, which I've sent out and have yet to um, find funds oh, okay, to grip onto. Slightly less funny, but we're not going to... But, I mean, they still have to cover that at some point when they get money. Um, but, in the Beniente, according to the new administration, who laid this all out in a very um, kind of terse, detailed uh, PowerPoint presentation, in the Beniente, oh, 15 million pesos to what was labelled a supermercado chino, in brackets, Villa Dominico. So, somehow... A local Chinese-run supermarket in... Villa Dominico, I believe, is where where they have their training bases. 
So essentially they have the chino, like it's not particularly sensitive, but that's what everyone calls the supermarkets you find on every corner, which are run by people of yes. Chinese heritage. So that's it. And they're syndicated as such. Yes. Um, yes, correct. So I'm going to just use that, that for us. Um, I assume this one is around the corner from their training base and they have an open account so if anyone, any of their players fancies a Coke or an Afakhod or mm. a packet of crisps, they just drop in. Yeah. Um, and they've managed to rack up a tab of 15 million pesos and 30, 15 million 37,000 pesos. Which, however you go about it, is a fuck lot of crisps. Um, I mean, to put that into perspective, for the drinks here this evening, we're drinking that bottle of Fernet uh, cost 990 pesos. Yes. And we've gone through, I mean, it was half full when I got here, so so far we've gone through about a quarter of it. Mm-hmm. So let's divide by four. So that's 250 pesos. Yes. Basically. So say a thousand with what the two. What did you spend 880 drinks? on the drinks? 840. So 840. Say a thousand for ease of rounding up. Yeah. Um, yes. That, that just helps you get some Anyway, se- seriously yes. speaking, I know how, in the point of view of the supermarket, how how you uh, get to, to for, for, for someone, or in this case, in the beginning, to owe you 15 million pesos. You owe... They owe you one million. Yeah. Okay, pay me. Uh, Which is not even what the sandwich company nearby have done either, right? Because wasn't there like one and a half million or two million for a they also sandwicheria? One million pesos to the sandwicheria, sandwiches, Boshaka. I mean, that's great publicity for sandwiches, Boshaka. Right? Yeah. If, if I lived in the area... I'd be like, we're going to that place now. Absolutely, which... It, it appears to be the place that Independiente have accidentally advertised as their first preference to everybody, mm. even though they owe them money. I'll, I mean, I'd be annoyed if I was the owner of that chino that I didn't get the actual name in there. It's just yeah, one of the true. chinos yeah. in Villa Domenico. I'm, I assume if you live near there, you'd know which one it is. Um, but yes, and then under Proviadores Varios... So assorted supplies, there's another 20 million in there. Um, yeah, it's not looking great for Independiente. Um, I think the fact that this has come out now is, it can be interpreted as the current administration just basically saying to everyone, look, don't expect anything from us because we just have to get rid of this debt. So most likely there's not going to be any... Uh, Bombshell signings at Independiente or big name coaches um, because we have now Leandro Stilitano. And they, 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 oh, you know, they, they still must be uh, banned, banned in, in order to, to sign new players, I think, because. Or buy more Alfajores. Surely an Alfajor embargo has got to come on now. And Maybe they'll, they'll be unveiling the supermarket manager's kid at some point. This, this is how we're paying off the debt. We'll let him play first division football for a couple of years. Um, but yeah, national team again, gents. We should, again, discuss this. Uh, the group, because we've talked a lot about the team. We haven't yes. talked a lot about the teams they're going to be facing, apart from a few veiled references to the fact that I expect them to beat Saudi Arabia in the opening match without too many issues. Saudi Arabia coached by an Argentine this year. They 
Always tend to. No. no, it's for a French. Uh, the oh. one is uh, United Arab Emirates. Who uh, are yeah, coached by Arrua yes. Barrena, yes. Which I presume is why they played them. Uh, they are coached by Hervé Renard. Ex Cameroon coach, and very possibly. Yeah, I mean, I think he's coached about half the teams in Africa or something. Yeah. Um, apologies to our French listeners for what I assume is my atrocious pronunciation of his name. Um, and uh, I, I was about to say apologies to any of our Saudi listeners for butchering the surnames of, uh, and indeed the names of their players, but to be honest, I'm not going to mention any of them. Um, Saudi Arabia have just, yes, also yesterday, in fact, they lost 1 0 to Croatia. Um, and this was one of the the things that I had noticed about their recent results, they don't tend to concede many goals. Their last one, two, mm. three, four, five, six, seven matches, uh, so the six prior to the defeat to Croatia, were uh, four draws and two victories. Nil-nil, nil-nil, one-nil over North Macedonia, one-one, one-nil over Iceland. So, you know, Iceland not bad, or at least, I mean, they might be by they now, but they certainly were a few years ago. Uh, and one-one. Uh, the draws have been with Ecuador and the United States. Mm-hmm. Neither of whom are bad sides, although I will temper that by pointing out that Ecuador also tend to draw an awful lot of matches nil-nil, so that could just be returning to the uh, regression to the mean. Only it's not really a regression, it's just the mean. Um, 1-1 with Albania and 1-1 with Panama. Um, it seems, looking at this, like, I mean, you know, Ecuador and the States, decent level teams... Panama, slightly less. Croatia really, I mean, they reached the last final. I'm assuming they're not that but good they, anymore. At but least uh, taking into account the, the, the friendly that they played yesterday against Saudi Arabia, yeah. they only had uh, Brozovic in the starting lineup as, as someone new, as uh, someone who we, we, know, we know. Then Modric and Perisic uh, uh, got into the match in the second half, I think. Right. So it might be a case of some opponents taking them not quite seriously enough in friendlies, obviously. Um, but yeah, it's it's that kind of weird area where you look at their recent results and there's a very wide range of um, FIFA rankings covered by essentially teams who Saudi Arabia have recently drawn with. Um, so they're unlikely to... I, I don't think it's going to be another 5-0. Put it that way, right? Because no. one of the reasons, you know, it, it was the typical thing that everybody always used to take the piss out of, and that for some reason people stopped taking the piss out of at some point, and that I want to take the piss out of again is you've got a team from a certain area of the world in your World Cup group, so you play a friendly against another team from roughly that area of the world because that's preparation. You know, like England always used to do it before World Cup. So we've been drawn in the same group as Nigeria, let's play a friendly against Ivory Coast. Mm-hmm. Do Ivory Coast play in the same style as Nigeria? I haven't a clue. But, you know, they're from just next door. So they're from West Africa. It's, it's preparation. That, different. Right? Um, that kind of thing. Yeah. And apologies, Cote d'Ivoire, of course, I meant to say. Um, I don't think it's going to be a 5-0. For one thing, Saudi Arabia actually reached the World Cup, so they're clearly better than United Arab Emirates anyway. Correct. Uh, even if they do play a similar style. And for another, it is the World Cup. Mm-hmm. It is perhaps worth pointing out that thanks to the victory last night, or rather thanks to the avoidance of defeat last night, uh, Argentina will draw level with Italy, with Italy's world record of 37 men's international football matches unbeaten if they can avoid defeat against Saudi Arabia. Uh, So there's that in play. Probabilities of a shock result? 
I'd be very surprised. Um, Saudi will be more familiar with the conditions, I guess, is one yeah. thing. But then again, the stadium's going to be air-conditioned. So, And is it that warm in November? In yeah, that's the other thing. I mean, that, that, that's another point. I've is it any different from playing here in, say, February or it's March? It's going to be like a very pleasant um, summer day. Yeah. We have to remember, apart from that, they debuted in the, of course, yeah, Russia 2018 against Iceland. Mm. Uh, of course, it was a different team. Now it looks like a team much more confident and better team, of course. Um, but I, I, I will bet for a 3 nil perhaps. Uh, okay. I tend to go with Sam. I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be closer than that. One um, or two goals. Just to, to be, it, it's a, I think it's also worth bearing in mind that when we look at that list of of, of teams, right? What, what I'm saying is Saudi Arabia are clearly no mugs, but equally, there's nobody on Argentina's level who they've played recently. Mm. You know, again, no disrespect to Croatia, but Croatia it would be quite a surprise if, if they made this final. No. It was a very big surprise when they made the last one as well, of course. So it, it could happen, and if we knew, then we wouldn't bother watching football. None of us would ever bother watching football if we knew what was going to happen. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think a couple of goals, maybe three, no, I, I don't think is unreasonable. And I think it's, it's reasonable of Andres to have gone for, I guess you could say, the lowest of the goleadas. The lowest fraction. Right, like... Yeah, that, that seems reasonable. Following that, Argentina will be playing Mexico. You are in great shape by the sounds of it. I was going to say, I, I uh, recently did a quick Q&A with um, an intern at the Buenos Aires Times, okay. uh, a, a periodical that you're familiar with, Dan. Oh yeah, James said he was, gonna, he was doing that with you because yes. he couldn't do it with me because I already worked for him. Uh, I, I, wondered, I wondered why I'd given him my number instead. But anyway, uh, he asked me about Poland and Mexico. In particular, he said, you know, Argentina have got two quality national teams in their group. I'm not sure why he left Saudi out, but uh, I didn't tell him off for it. Um, he asked me what I knew about them, and I said, to be honest, if I answered this question, I would be being dishonest with you, because I don't really know anything about them, apart from everybody in Mexico hates the manager. The yes. manager being... Martino. Yeah, who we... Kind of quite like yeah. a little bit... And they aren't, also, they aren't too happy with uh, Rogelio Funes Mori. Former real played striker, who is there? Who is one of three players born in Argentina who will be representing other countries right. at this World Cup. So that's the other stat about Argentina having that whole squad born in Argentina, but there are also three. Do you want to go for the other two, Dan? I'm thinking. Um, can you give me nations? Yes, I can. If you give me uh, second. I mean, uh, they're, they're both in the Americas. I'll give you that to start. Uh, one of them is Uruguay. Musleda. Yes. There we go. Easy one. Always been at every World Cup since about 1994. Yep. And the other is. Uh, hang on a second. I'm, I'm searching my, my trivia WhatsApp group again. Um, <laughs> the other, the one other one is. Oh, yeah, okay. The, the other one is going to be. Involved in the opening match of the World Cup, if if he plays, which is Qatar Ecuador. Okay, there we go. Argentina. So having got Ecuador, you've answered the question, but you'll be doing quite well if you can remember the name of the uh, player. He was born in Rosario. He now plays for Universidad Católica of Quito, obviously rather than the more famous Universidad Católica of Chile. I want to say Damian Diaz, but I don't think it's him. It is not him. 
No, I'm going to have to... Um... It's Hernán Galíndez. Hernán Galíndez. Oh. There we go. Damián Díaz did play for Ecuador a couple of times. He did, yeah, yeah. He played at Las Copa America. And, um, Indeed. Peter and I at one point, when we were... I think I'd commentated on one match, mm. and he was commentating on the one that followed, and there was like half an hour during which we could sit down and have a bit of a chat. And he uh, mentioned to me that he was one of his favourite players to commentate on because mm. he was the last, like... He's just a classic number 10. Oh, he's such a, a you know, lovely, elegant throwback, to watch, like yeah. Riquelme, uh, but somehow still playing football in 2021. <laughs> um, but yes, anyway, what was I saying? Mexico. The, the one thing I know about them, apart from... He was born in Rosario as well, so I wasn't far away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's weird. Apart from that yes. Rogelio Funes Mori plays for Mexico and is one of... And I'm not going to quiz you on this, but Funes Mori apparently is one of four players at this World Cup who have previously played for... Another nation. So right. Funes Mori once played for Argentina in a okay. Super Clásico de las Américas in like 2013 or 14 or something. Um, and there are three others. Iñaki Williams is one of them. Mm-hmm. He played for Spain and he's going to be playing for someone else at this mm-hmm. World Cup. And then there are a couple of others, but I can't remember. Um, other than that, I don't know anything about Mexico apart from, as I said, the whole country hates Gerardo Martino and wants him <laughs> run out of town. Mm. And ideally, afterwards, his head on a spike. Um, because Gerardo Martino seems to have a habit of actually doing quite respectably but not spectacularly with teams and then everybody hates him even though he seems like a nice guy mm-hmm. I don't know why that is what else can you tell us about Mexico Dan? Uh, they is... lost the other day to Sweden okay, which, didn't go, which didn't go down very well at all um, and just haven't been doing very well really they, they beat Iraq 4-0 they beat Iraq 4-0 <laughs> Um, but they seem perilously close to losing their kind of um, superior position in CONCACAF football. It feels like uh, the US and Canada are, are gaining on them with every every day that passes and Mexico are really just have just been treading water for, for the best part of two decades really. It doesn't seem like they've been mo- moving forward particularly. The other thing to consider of course when we're talking about Argentina's chances of, mm. you know, which is ultimately not to uh, disrespect Mexico at all but we are an Argentine football podcast and that is the reason that we're discussing this group and it's hard to talk about the history of Argentine national team football without disrespect to Mexico exactly because well, that, that was what I was coming the to the story is just one of the head to head utter disrespect teams yeah. is not favourable to Mexico it is fair to say to put it very uh, to put it very kindly yeah I mean SofaScore only has the last seven matches between Argentina and Mexico recorded, so that's all I'm going to give you for now. Mm. But they consist of, uh, well, this says there's been a draw, but those all look like Argentina. They consist of, oh no, hang on, there was a 2-2 draw in 2015 in a friendly. Mexico were 2-0 up after 70 minutes, and then Sergio Aguero Mm. and Lionel Messi scored in the 85th and 89th minute. And the other matches, all six of them, have resulted in victories for Argentina. Uh, there was a... Well, that's not the correct thing. Eh? Oh, that was the 1930 World Cup for some reason, which is showing up. Mm. Um, so this might not be the last seven matches they've played. Uh, but let's go instead with... Let's ignore that first one. That can't possibly be. They can't have only played each other seven times. Uh, they played each other in the 2006 World Cup and Argentina won 2-1 after extra time thanks to that belting Maxi Rodriguez uh, chest and volley in the round of 16. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course it's the round of 16 because Mexico were playing in it so it can't have been the quarterfinal. Yes. 
Uh, sorry, there I go again. <laughs> again, it's impossible to talk about this without disrespecting yeah. Mexico. Uh, the 2010 World Cup, of course, they were in the same group, and in spite of the fact that they were hampered by being managed by Diego Maradona, Argentina won 3-1. I think there were two goals from Carlos Tevez in that one. No, they played in the last 16. Did they? Yeah. It was South Korea in the, well, in, yes. in the group stage that I went to watch in, in, in the park in um, Retiro with Australian Down, the first time I met Australian Down. Yeah. Um, they drew 2-2 in that match I just mentioned in the friendly. Uh, they played in November 2018, and Argentina won 2-0. They played a few days after that, and Argentina won 2-0. And uh, they played in September 2019, apparently, it says here. And Argentina won 4-0. That was also a friendly. Uh, in short, and Lautaro Martinez scored a hat-trick. Surprised Dan didn't jump in before me to point that out. Um, Please. Yeah, in, in short... It, even if Mexico were on top of their game, it would still be something of a surprise for that match to end in something that wasn't an Argentina win. Historically yes, speaking, absolutely. it would be against the record books, let's say. And this doesn't look like a, a vintage Mexico team by by any uh, any possible um, mark. They've got their free keepers are all 35 or over. Uh, Defence doesn't look very formidable either. Uh, the best player in midfield is still Guarrado at 36 years old. Um, I mean, the fact that they've had to turn to Funes Mori to be their uh, star striker yeah. pretty much says everything. Uh, yeah. Uh, we all know they're going to make the last 16 because Mexico always make the last 16. Uh, but it's definitely a game that that Argentina should be winning and I've got a feeling that I mean if I were Mexico coach which thank god I'm not because it just seems like a horrible job um, I would be putting everything into this first game against Poland because that's the one which is essentially going to be that's gonna you know, you would think judging strictly on form and if everything plays out how we'd imagine that's the one that's going to decide second place um, well, if Mexico get the victory there they can almost take the foot off the pedal a little bit and well, know that second place is, is within reach. If you say that the Mexican hate Martino, well, after the World Cup, they will hate him more because I think that Poland will, will go through. Say, yeah, when, when Dan says Mexico always gets to the round of 16, um, yes. Poland at the moment, it's going to be one of the very few matches, it might be the only one at this World Cup, that will uh, involve two Ballon d'Or winners. Largely, of course, thanks to the fact that the Ballon d'Or has been dominated for most of the last decade and a half by two players in particular yes. who aren't in the same group. Uh, but, of course, uh, Robert Lewandowski yeah. is going to be leading the line for Poland. And one would assume that Lionel Messi will win a cap for Argentina in that final group stage match. You'd imagine so, as, yeah. as you've just sort of hinted, it might come down to deciding who wins the group. So, mm. you know, often those last group matches are dead rubbers for teams like Argentina, who tend to have won the first couple, but this one might not be. Um, Poland, unlike Mexico, do have at least one notable win over Argentina. In fact, according to SofaScore, they've got a 2-1 in the head-to-head, -head, but as I've sort of hinted a minute ago, I'm not completely convinced this is totally historically complete but in the 1974 World Cup which was not Argentina's finest hour it is fair to say no. Poland won 3-2 with two goals and assists from and I'm not going to pronounce this correctly Gregor Lato mm -hmm. um, 
Andrei Sharmak scored Poland's other goal. And the goals from Argentina came in the second half. First to make it 2-1, Ramon Heredia. And then after Poland had gone 3-1 up. In fact, those are, that, that was scored in the 60th minute. Lato put Poland 3-1 up in the 62nd. And in the 66th minute, Carlos Babington scored. In English. The, uh, Former, we know him best, if you're a Hand of Pod listener, a long-term Hand of Pod listener, as a former president of Huracan. And as Andres, uh, as Dan just said, he's nicknamed in English. Um, bizarrely, Sofa Scores actually got, look at this, the, the full lineups as if this match was played yesterday. Oh. And who was subbed and in what minutes and who was booked and stuff as well. That's fascinating. Oh, no, oh yeah, that's got who was booked. Roberto Perfumo and Babington were booked. There we go. René Hausmann was a uh, half-time substitute. He came on for Brindisi. So there we go. Um, but yeah, so Poland actually do have a, a, a notable um, win. And of course, Argentina have got a notable World Cup win over Poland because they beat them in the group stage of the 1978 World Cup. There we go. And that was the last time they met in a World Cup. Poland won a friendly in 2011, apparently, which I've forgotten about too. I have no memory of that whatsoever. No, me neither. Uh, we don't even have the scorers listed or anything here. Um, so yeah. Anyway, that should be interesting. I think I mean that is the most interesting match I think of, of the group stage. Yeah, uh, if, of, sorry, if could turn out to be stage. completely uninteresting depending on our results go because it's the last match. But yeah, it definitely has the potential to. Are either of you waking up at seven o'clock to watch the Saudi Arabia match? Of course, you are. Yeah, you say of course. I'm not. No, no. I might have been if it wasn't this particular World Cup that it was being played in. <laughs> Yes, I will, of course. Um, in fact, there is a, a place where they send medialunas in the where near where I, I I work, and when they have a banner, uh, they have a banner where uh, it says that they will open at five a.m. Mm. because there were people that perhaps start working at nine yeah. just when the match ends, so they will go to the office at seven p.m. perhaps. Yeah, and that means that they will have to buy the. The picada or the medianunas. Oh, I see, yeah, okay, they're early, so they don't yes. have to commute during the match. Yes. Yeah. I saw there's a famous uh, churro place which is doing a very similar thing. Yeah. I'm not going to say anything because we don't do commercial uh, commercial plugs here unless you pay us. But I did see um, the they're going to be opening at half five. What with the upside down logo? One with a little animal on their yes. logo. Yes, I think the same one. Uh, on to Lister's questions then. Janet Hopper says, Dear Hand of Pod, she sent this one uh, last week, but we're going to read it out anyway. Dear Hand of Pod, firstly, thanks for your commitment to always giving us the podcast number at the start of each one. You're welcome. I like the formal letter style of this email. Yes, indeed. Yeah. I think it chimes very well with the fact that she's saluted us for using every number. Indeed. It's very much in character with I, this listener. I do that as much as anything to. Apologies for the noise. Uh, I do that as much as anything. To, we have a small child in the room, in case you're wondering what that was. Um, to, to, to keep count myself. It went quite quickly to the point where I'm quite proud of the fact that we have somehow been going for nearly 450 episodes now. So I'm going to keep saying it. Uh, and Janet then says, Second, I have fired up the game Football Manager 2023 and I find myself drawn to Argentina and San Lorenzo. So what players should I keep and ditch and where to look for signings? So... The first thing that I'm going to say, just to, let, let's call this a bit of a um, uh, covering our own backs statement, 
is that football manager can often differ from real life quite considerably in terms of who's going to be any good and who's not. But with that in mind, gents... I haven't played it for years, I don't know who's good or Let's imagine in real life that San Lorenzo have just appointed you as their manager. Do you want to keep any of that squad? I mean, they've just done all right in the league. They did did well, yeah. We've been surprised by this for about six months because... um, so turned out some pretty decent results. If it's reflecting real life, and especially if this calendar year's developments are, are plugged into the game, which I would think they will be to an extent, mm. uh, I would be tempted to basically look at the ages of your squad and to keep most of the younger ones. Yeah. And maybe one or two of the higher rated older ones. And when I say younger, I mean like younger than about 25. That's yeah. more or less my cut. Then Adam Barredo had a very good season. I don't know if that translates to the game at all, but he was very good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, my, my approach to... One of my approaches to football manager, first of all, I tend to play in leagues where I don't know anything about the team mm. because I prefer that. Uh, but I also don't tend to actually look at real life stats or performances or anything when considering it. I just look at what my, what my coaches say. Find, find some coaches who you trust and who've got this. decent... Uh, player ability and player potential judging um, stats and try not to get too into that which seems to be San Lorenzo's biggest problem that's going to be difficult if you're managing in Argentina full stop Um, but yeah and uh, where to look for signings for San Lorenzo I would think you could look for signings from most clubs outside the big five yeah yeah, no, I was going to say who aren't like Lanús and Banfield, but actually, no, I'd, I'd say most clubs outside the Big Five, you're probably yeah. able to, to tempt players in from. Uh, Uruguay, maybe, Colombia as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Uruguay, Colombia, Chile also should be fairly decent for it. Um, and now, moving on to real life questions. Darren Paul says, Oh. Real life. <laughs> Are you looking at this as well, Dan? Are you looking yes. at the notification? Should I read this first question out, out loud? Uh, no, no, I think no. you're going to have to emphasise the question and, and the Driss, question mark and Driss is saying not to but no. my commitment to the democracy of letting our listeners uh, ask questions each week is such that I'm going to risk it <laughs> Darren Paul's first four words are Argentina winning it right with a question mark at the end got to be Acuna's time so the first thing that we should say is that Acuna is currently on the injury bench yes. and might be he's, he's going to be tested tomorrow apparently mm. uh, and so he might be uh, bumped out for Tagio Fico um, I mean I have already said that I'm feeling quite optimistic about yeah. Argentina doing well but doing well to me means semi-finals semis uh, and then as I've said many times before if you're in a knockout competition and especially if it's not two-legged and you reach the semis anything can happen from that point on um but yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel good about it. Yeah, somehow, Andres, you're you're the actual Argentine in the room. Yeah, I, I, I prefer not to not to risk uh, <laughs> something than then I. Mm. I don't blame you. Um, Darren also says, "Is Emmy Martinez a lock for the number one?" Well, yes, yes, in the sense that you mean it, but also for some reason he's going to be continuing to wear the number twenty-three shirt, and fa- um, Armani is going to be the number one. Yeah. In terms of shirt numbers. That's fine. As long as he doesn't actually play, he can have all the number one shirts he wants. Exactly. Uh, But yeah, Martinez, of course, is going to be number one. Um, And he also says, how much has been made of Garnacho's recent performances for United? Now, I'm not going to answer this question because 
obviously, for fairly obvious reasons, I might not have the best, uh, the, the most even handle on this. So, gents, as non-Manchester United fans, how much have you seen Alejandro Garnacho being talked about in relation to the national team? A fair bit, yeah. I think um, if this World Cup was either a month later or if one more player goes down uh, in the Argentina attack, like, he would definitely be on the cusp of a call-up. Um, right. came very close. Uh, just a little too late to push him there, but definitely looking to the future and, and other World Cups. Uh, very encouraging to, to see him... See him knocking on the door. Once again, Scaloni saw something that not a lot of people saw, had seen because he called him up and some months. I think even Garnacho knew he was Argentine before, um, before <laughs> Scaloni gave him a call, and now he's like the most Argentine person ever. Um, even though he speaks with a thick Madrid accent. Yeah, but and if he had, had played with these performances uh, three or four months ago, perhaps, mm. uh, and with these injuries, he could have been, perhaps, I don't know if called up, but very, very close to... to yeah, my, uh, my thinking, obviously, having been aware of him for maybe a little bit more than a year now, which is, I guess, when he first started really catching the eye of people who were paying attention to the under-23s uh, performances and results um, for, for United rather than for Argentina, um, is that maybe if this World Cup were being held this time next year, I think he'd be something quite close to a lock in yeah, the team. Absolutely. Um, it's just come a little bit early for him, but by twenty twenty six, I'd if he continues his current trajectory and given the manager he's got at the moment and some of the players he's got around him, admittedly the the one he most idolises is possibly not being the best role model at the moment. Mm. Um but yeah in three and a half years time I think he'll he'll be in the squad for sure. Um Bob Roberts says, "Okay, guys, let's hear your World Cup final pairing." These Not are, a chance. And Not I'll point a out chance. again, these are Bob's words. He says, "I'm going with Argentina versus France," and I will say, Bob, what um, Daniel said. Not a chance because, as a non-South American team who have won the World Cup in the 21st century, France are going out in the group stage. Yeah, because that's what's happened to everybody apart from Brazil, who won in 2020, 2002, got out of the group stage in 2006. I meant more that it's not a chance I'm going to answer this. Germany, but. the same. 2014. Exactly. Champions yeah, that's that's my point, yeah. Uh, Germany won in... Well, Italy won in 2006 and went out in the group stage in 2010. And 2014 and... Spain won in 2010 and went out in the group stage in 2014. France in 1998, 2002. Exactly. Right, yeah. the same yes, yeah, you're quite right. Yeah, that, that was where the, the run started, which yes. is why I pointed out uh, non-South Americans. So Brazil, since... Of teams who've competed in the World Cup in the 20th <laughs> I got century. you, I got you, I understand. Brazil are the only defending uh, champions to get out of the group stage. Yeah. Um, for the final pairing, I don't know. I'm not going to answer. The, the other thing we should say, of course, is that like the last World Cup, Argentina and France, uh, I had to correct Andres on this while Dan was outside for a cigarette during the break. Argentina and France could meet in the round of 16. If one of them finishes second. Yeah. So or if Argentina finishes second. The winners of Argentina's group will play the second place team in France's group yeah. and vice versa. Um, so France, in case, like me, you need to check this because you're only aware of who Argentina are in a group with, are in a group with Australia, Denmark and Tunisia. So you heard it here first, or possibly not if some other podcast you've got also noticed this pattern. Uh, I'm going for Australia and Denmark to get out of that group. Ooh. Or possibly Denmark and Tunisia. I think Denmark will get out. I don't think France will. Because it's fate 
because these patterns continue <laughs> to repeat and because we should hope for the big European nations to continue ballsing up. And the incredible injury that one of the strikers, I don't know whether he will be in the starting lineup, but Nkunku, the I th- Leipzig, I think, striker, mm. who injured in a practice playing with uh, Kamavinga and, and Kamavinga just, of course, doing the loco, like the, the player that is in the middle and has to, to go for the ball when, while the others are passing each other. Yeah. And Kamavinga is like he, I don't know which, which part he he knocked him, but uh, and he's out of the World Cup because of that in the in training uh-huh. session. Uh, so it is bad luck, really. That happened to Boca a couple of years ago, didn't it? The goalkeeper yes. just completely twatted somebody in the training <laughs> session and put him out for like two months. I can't remember who. Orion it was. Yeah. Orion Paredes, I think it was. Paredes. Yeah. Mm. Um, I mean, let, I'm, I'm going to take it down a notch and say predicted semi-finalists. Um, and as I've already said several times now, I think, you know, I've, I've got to go all in here. I'm going to go for Argentina to be in the mm. semis. I'm going to go for, although I hate to say it, I'm going to go for Brazil to be in the semis. And there's a part of me that hopes I'm jinxing them by saying that, let's be honest. But. Saying all this, me and Anna, Anna and I actually oh, you write out a hypothetical <laughs> fixture. Well, let's hear this one then, because this will be canonical. I'll start from um, the semi-finals onwards. We have Brazil and Argentina to meet in one semi-final, Ooh. and Croatia and France to meet in the other. Okay. A repeat of last the yeah. last final, and Argentina and France are apparently going to advance from that final, and the rest I'll leave up to your imaginations. Yes. When you say that you and your partner and uh, your kid did this, I'm guessing that this was mainly Noel. Uh, it was a team <laughs> effort. We all we all had a part to play in in certain fixtures. You heard it here first. Andres is, is too Argentine to venture a prediction. Um, Liam Kelly, who has no relation to me, says, "What's the expected lineup for the first game?" Fantastic question. And expectations for the tournament in general. I think we've answered that already, but I'm optimistic again, mm. just in case you haven't heard. Could face Brazil in the semi-final. I mean. Brazil were afraid to play Argentina in Brazil. So, I don't think they're going to stand a chance in, in, nah. in Quata, are they? Expected lineup for the first game. I'm going to go Emiliano Martinez in goal. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go for Molina at mm-hmm. right back and then Otamendi. I think Romero will get fit enough. You reckon he'll start? Yeah, and okay. given some of the headlines on the screen that we've seen about Acuna while we've been recording, I'm going to go for Tagliafico at left-back. I'm going to go for Leandro Paredes. Um, I was about to say Lo Celso because I forgot which one of them was injured, but De Paul and Macalister in midfield. And I'm going for Messi, Di Maria and Lautaro across the front. Obviously, that may or may not actually be a 4-3-3. It might be a 4-4-2 or some combination, but... I'm going to go for those players. Any disagreements? Yeah. No. I think if all of those players you've named are in uh, a fit to play, they will. Right. Uh, Acuna will be, t- I, I read the, he, he in the DC Sports uh, mm-hmm. graph that he will be tested. Yeah, that, that, was, the, that yes. was what I was referring yeah. to. I, I think if, if Acuna turns out to be fully fit, I think he might get the nod ahead of Tamiya Fico. But they so might just decide to give him a few days more anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and expectations for the tournament in general. Again, I'm, I'm, I, I think semi is a reasonable... Yeah, nervous but optimistic. 
Ronnie Masumder has he's tweeted three things at us so let's see Uh, ah he's replied to Liam he says only if Brazil can stay top of their group and Argentina can beat France or Denmark I mean well sure but I mean I think Liam's point was that the tree would send them together there if both win their groups Uh, and then he has a question he says your take on Nico Gonzalez to Angel Correa and Tuku Correa to Almada decision how important is it that Di Maria stays fit for the tournament so first of all to the first question He's been forced by injury, so yeah, I think it's reasonable enough. They both, both uh, Angel Correa and Belmada, as we've mentioned, have been around squads recently. Mm-hmm. They've done all right. What is for sure is that Angel Correa was quite more prepared to the to yeah. the to be there because he was in the list and then. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, how important is it that Di Maria stay fit for the tournament? I think. Much more important than any of us would have been expecting to yeah. admit a couple of years ago. Which makes me hugely nervous because he always gets injured. <laughs> and now yeah, he's fully, now he's fully, uh, I mean, he's perhaps the best mm. in terms of physical form. And mm. yes, you, you... You said that, I've been talking to a mate of mine who's a big Juventus fan in the, in the last few days. And he is seething. He thinks that Di Maria is the biggest waste of space oh, he's yeah. ever seen. Look, Messi... Last season yeah. for PSG, from what I hear, wasn't all that good. No, but he by says his, by his standards. But he obviously. says Di Maria's been catastrophic. Well, so I awesome. made sure to um, to write to him just after Di Maria's I've, brilliant double, and it's like, yeah, he just took a fucking three month holiday with us. I have, I have, Steven. I have a lot of time for any Argentina international who joins a European massive side who I hate. Mm. Doesn't appear to give a shit, and then turns up for Argentina. Well, no, no, like Di Maria did the other night. No, it's Di Maria besides. Uh, Otavendi. Both are were like resisted, not very liked by 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 supporters, and now you can say n- anything about them. Yeah, uh, Ronnie has another question, which I'm. He's added question. I heard Tim Vickery saying he would trust Brazilian backline, then Argentine. Although Argentina stat-wise have done well, who would you trust with? Uh, I think that's. That he I think he's asking has more faith in Brazil's defence than in Argentina's defence. I think um, we loved him. He's a lovely guy. Also, I don't know an awful lot about Brazil's defence at the moment and who's involved in it. It's strong. It's very Brazil strong. It's Marquinhos and Thiago Silva. They've got a very strong holding midfielder sitting in front of them, of course. Um, they're solid. Argentina are also solid. Brazil have probably got a slight advantage in the fullback department in that they know who their fullbacks are yeah although one of them's 40 years old yes indeed but he's still very good um so it's a bit of one and a half like six of one and a half a dozen of the other but i do feel like at center back as Mm. we've already kind of mentioned with uh both romero and lisandro Argentina maybe have a little bit more depth in Perhaps. that like you're not really going to notice the difference yeah if, what if, I'd say if, is that I don't think anyone suspended. I don't think anyone would seriously make the argument that Argentina are a better team than Brazil on mm. paper or physically or on the pitch or otherwise I think the point um, we can gather you know the conclusion from that last Copa America final and, and what we've seen in the last few clashes between them is that it's very close and that yeah. on the day Argentina are as capable of beating Brazil than Brazil are 
are of beating Argentina, if the, you get what I mean. The other thing, it's, it's a toss-up. The other um, thing for me that's interesting is, although obviously I've, I've you know, made, made a point of making fun of Brazil for being afraid to play that World Cup qualifier <laughs> on home turf uh, many times, which isn't really fair, just to be clear, I am no. not trying to be fair, um, is that I genuinely think if they do meet in the World Cup, I wonder whether that Copa America final is going to give Argentina a slight psychological advantage. It, it's a bit mm. like... I haven't yet watched this Netflix documentary about Argentina winning the Copa America. No. Um, right, but I have seen a tweet, I think it was, that Santi sent um, when he was watching it about when they were talking about the group stage, uh, about the, the uh, shootout, I should say, the semi against mm. Colombia, and all of the players were talking about like how nervous they were and how, oh God, there's extra time was ticking down and we were thinking, God, is going to penalties. We were starting to shit ourselves a bit. And then it comes to Emiliano Martinez, who sat there with this big shit-eating grin on his face and just goes, I want it though. <laughs> and there's a bit of me that, that, that kind of wonders whether Argentina are going to be a little bit like that. Like, if, if I was Brazilian, I would not want to play Argentina in this World Cup. At the same time, mm. the Argentina fan part of me thinks, I'd be a little bit nervous about playing Brazil. I really wouldn't want to play Uruguay because I think more than any of the Europeans, mm. Uruguay are the team who, when, especially against Argentina, the famous phrase, right, from Simeone, the knife between your teeth, that's how you've got to go mm. out against Uruguay. It, I, I think they'd all be fantastic matchups. I mean, we all know that this Argentina team, when it all boils down to it, is at heart a, a group of 18-year-olds completely obnoxious on a lad's holiday and just don't give a fuck about anything and I think that's the right attitude to, to carry into like these big games against Uruguay or Brazil or France they just they're just going to want to run everyone over and you know give them a good kick in between like 20 of them and kicking them in the head and the floor indeed and that's fine AB says besides an injury to Messi what are the top dangers to the team's performance? What's the worst case scenario or the most challenging potential obstacle for the team? I mean, we said it in the first half, the injury to Lado. Yeah. That would be, that would be tough. Um, yes. Despite what I said, you know, about Julian Alvarez being very, very good recently. Uh, that would be, that would be a, a hard one to come yeah, back from. Just one or if something happened to Martinez. Uh, in Wait, hang on, which Martinez? <laughs> Any of the Martinez's. Any of the three. Yeah. or Emiliano? Or? Emiliano. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the other, the, I guess the absolute nightmare would be if you ended up with, through a combination of injury and suspension, probably, with two of the centre-backs being out. Hmm. Um, I'd almost kind of say that the two centre-backs in question would have to be Lissandro Martinez and one of Romero and Otamendi. Because I feel like the way he's played for United this season, Lissandro seems to just make whoever's playing alongside him look great anyway um, but yeah if it gets to the point where they're having to pick Petsena it'd probably be Petsena ahead of Foyt for centre-back mm. I would think uh, then they might be in trouble but yeah it, it's it, there's depth in the team overall Paredes yeah you've got Guido Rodriguez there you've got Enzo Fernandes yeah. who for all of the fact that he's not going to be in the starting lineup mm-hmm. for any matches mm-hmm. when he is in the starting lineup put money on him to score a goal from 30 yards out in his first match Lautaro and Emi the other ones uh, Liam's back with another question he says domestically there's still a top flight place up for grabs who's taking it are we going to answer a non-World Cup question Dan any ideas oh, what was the question sorry Who, who's going to get the final uh, promotion spot from the Nacional oh I can't oh. 
even remember who were in it. I know there's one, one game still to play, which is on the eve of the World Cup on Saturday night. Uh, and it is between Estudiantes de Buenos Aires and Instituto. I do remember. Um, it's the second leg of the final. The first leg, I believe, finished... Uh, uh, um, 1-0, if I'm right. These games all f happened very, uh, very long ago. Somehow I've ended up... Yeah, oh, no, no, sorry. Um, and the second game is on Saturday at 8.10 local time, PM. I mean, Instituto have got home advantage. They got home advantage, yeah, but they also have a track record at choking in these... Um, True. These moments, and I was looking. I looked this up actually. You know the uh, the last season Estudiantes de Buenos Aires played in Primera. Seventies. Yes. Seventy-eight. Nineteen seventy-eight. And what else happened in nineteen seventy? Well, no, that, that was. I assumed that the fact you were asking the question was because of that, so that yeah. wasn't really a guess on my part. <laughs> it was more of a deduction. Like, why would Dan be doing this? Yeah. So, if Estudiantes make it, is that another side? Oh, God. Estudiantes, mm. uh, so, too, have been away for a long, long time. But they also have a pretty good record at supplying World Cup winners. Because, of course, Sardiles and Kempis both came from Instituto's ranks. Yeah, so, they have that World Cup connection, too. And although currently an injury doubt, Paolo Dybala is in the squad. Indeed. So... He could follow in the, those illustrious footsteps. There are so many signs pointing to it. So many signs. Uh, that's it. We have been recorded. This second half, half in inverted commas, <laughs> has been one hour and four minutes long. That's, yeah. So I'm going to apologise to you all for what we thought was going to be quite a quick World Cup preview and what has not turned into one. Um, but we hope that you enjoy the World Cup if you're paying attention to it. If you're not and you've just been listening to us because you're a hand pot completist and want to listen to every episode, then... Of course, completely understand that, and I hope that you enjoy uh, this football-free break or watch a lot of women's football or something else in the meantime. For now, it's thanks and goodbye from Andres. Thank you. Goodbye. From English Dan. Goodbye. And from me, thank you and goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>